WNBA Nation. Hello again. It is wonderful to see your ears or uh, hear your to. It's good to be here. It's wonderful you. to see your it's ears. Answer. Thank you, Logan. It is wonderful to see your ears. Some, some people got nice ears, man. That's life. Uh, welcome to another installment of the show. I'm Steve Schwartzman. You've already heard. I'm here with Logan Jones. Logan, how be? I I'm. I'm still reeling. I, I don't look at people's ears at all. Should I be looking at people's ears? <laughs> I guess it depends. It depends on. It depends. I don't even have a really good answer for that. I just. Do you ever. I, uh, I was going to say like, it's good to see you or good to see your face. I'm like, but we're not going to see their face. It's a podcast. And I said ears. That's the closest oh, get we'll get to seeing them. Is the show goes in their ears. This like, I, I'm thinking of more like a magic school bus scenario where like. We shrink down, go through the sound waves into an ear. You know, Gosh. Arnold should have stayed home, but he didn't. Magic School Bus is so awesome. Dude, I'm excited for today's episode. Yes. Uh, we've, we've got people in the chat. We're on, we're on stream. We're on the Twitch. Um, we've been talking about what it means to be mid-millennials, I guess. Uh, we've, yeah. We've, we've got some free agency talk for you today. Um this is kind of a the episode before the episode where where we know all about the coaching changes. Uh, as of this moment, Mercury are still searching for their coach, still finalizing things, um, and so there's there's obviously like still further information that's going to come out that's going to change some of the things we talked about today. But we've got a good group yeah. in the chat. I think we're going to do some Q and A. So I'm I'm excited. I'm ready to go. We're we're in our I- matching orange hoodies, which is when you know we're in like yeah. a power stance as a show. We're united. We planned that. It's January, so I can wear my hoodie inside without, like, feeling uh, like I just ate soup. You know, that, that, post, that post-soup, that like, warmth, that's, that's me in a hoodie inside most of the year. But I can do it in January. I can make it happen. So it's good. It's good to be. But you were on a, on a roll talking about Twitch and, and everything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to keep going with this. So why don't you stay on this roll? And before we jump into some Q&A, let our listeners, friends, family know where they can find us. Absolutely. So first and foremost, we stream all of our episodes live on twitch.tv slash WNBA Nation. You can join the group that's on there every time we do an episode. It's a fun discussion. You can be a part of the show by asking us questions, being part of the the comments there. Uh, And speaking of comments, you can give us your best comments and only your best comments on Twitter at WNBA Nation Pod. Um, follow us for the latest updates, news, and fun over there as well. And we've got a merch page. Um, and you can get some of the latest designs that I, I know Steve is is responsible for for our latest like Andy Warhol design over on the merch page, which I, I still need to get one of those three-quarter sleeve tees. I think it's a, a sharp-looking t-shirt. So um, okay. we've got the merch page. You can go over there, check that out. Uh, if you do come check out the Twitch stream, remember you can use your Amazon Prime subscription to freely subscribe uh, every month to a different show on there. Uh, and if you, if you keep re-upping and, and subscribing with your Amazon Prime subscription, it helps our show out without any cost to you, which is really yes. cool. That's why we moved uh, over there in the first place. So uh, thank you for those of you who've already done that, uh, as well as those of you who've left your very touching and very kind five-star reviews. 
Um, yes. The five-star reviews help us get more seen. They help us grow our audience, especially in this weird off-season time. Uh, it's nice to get kind of the name of the show out there and be in, in people's feeds. And we get to play the drop. And I love the five-star review drop. And every time that we get to do it, it makes me happy. Yeah, it's a, it's a warm and fuzzy time for sure. Uh, so we always always love and appreciate that for, for good. But that's the uh, that's the gist. Thank you, Logan, for, for the rundown. We have – this is an f- interesting time of year because it's hard to say right now that there's lots of news. But there's not like there's not a lot of dishes ready to serve, but there's a lot cooking. Like there's a lot of stuff on the stove right now. And so it's just like you have a lot to talk about, but it's not quite interesting. We weren't sure how to structure the the discussion. Plus, we had to postpone this from our normal Monday night live stream to a Tuesday afternoon live stream, which I think is a lot of fun. I'm at least a little more energized myself in the afternoon. But uh we we had the thought before pre-record, why not just have a good old-fashioned Q&A? We asked our, our fantastic Twitch fam in the Twitch chat uh, live to give us some questions for Q&A, and we've got some fantastic topics to dive into, which is another plug. Uh, if you have another chance, definitely follow us on Twitter. That's usually where we, we push out our stream links most commonly and get a chance to show off and and go through that and you'll get to be a part of the community here to have some live discussion, you know, rub shoulders with the, with the Twitch group, unless, you know, I don't know if like emotional social distancing in a chat is, is good. I'm not sure rubbing, you know, you know, don't rub someone's shoulders. That's a weird phrase. I'm just learning. Uh, that said a good don't, place to don't, be. Don't look at anyone's ears or rub any shoulders. Don't be a weirdo. <laughs> You're learning a lot about what not to do to another person today. But uh, if you haven't, uh, if you want to check out the, the video portion of the show and can't get to us live, definitely check us out over on YouTube as well, because Jason's been putting together some clips from each episode that I think have been fantastic and fun to go back and watch. So definitely check those out. Lots of places to dive into, but Logan, I, I want to hear some cues that we can a, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm in on this. Yeah. You, I know you've been, you've been Hawkeyeing those. So I'm going to call it over to you or again, or these are, these are coming from our Twitch chat. So our live listeners and we, we love having them around well, and they make the show a lot of fun. So let's do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bring the first one to you from uncle drew WNBA. Um, he's a, he's one of the frequent engagers with our show, both on Twitch and on Twitter. Um, if you're not following him, go ahead and go follow him. He asked, uh, this is, I'm going to combine two of his questions into a double whammy. Who is the new Mercury coach? And is it ever really mutual? (laughs) (laughs) Referring to the so-called mutual departure of Sandy Brondello from, from the franchise. Well, I'll start by saying to answer the actually answer the second question. As one who has been on the lower end of a crappy breakup many a time, no, it's never mutual. Um, <laughs> but no, I, th- I that's obviously referring to, yeah, Brundello, you know, they've mutually parted ways, but does, you know, who broke up with who is kind of the idea. Is this a case of being fired from the team and the team wanting to do it softly and say mutually parted ways? Is it you saying like, yo, I'm getting an offer for New York and I'm taking it? And just let me do you a solid by saying we mutually parted ways or is there, cause I'm trying to figure out what mutually parted ways would look like in real life. 
of just like, the only thing I could think of is that scene from You Got Mail where it's like, oh my gosh, I want to break up with you too. Like at the exact same time, she's like, holy crap. I, like, this is amazing. That, yeah. That in we in get the to sports do this. world, it almost feels like mutually parted ways only happens if like both sides hate each other. Cause if they love each other, they're not going to do it. So. Uh, yeah. It certainly feels like I, I'm excited for the Sandy era uh, in New York. But when she was asked that question about what's different in New York compared to Phoenix and she responded with, well, there's no Brittany Griner here. That that tells me that there's still kind of some there's I, I think she's all in on being New York's coach. And I think she's excited to be there. And I think they're going to be really successful this year, or at least pretty successful this year. Um, and I, they're, they're one of the I'm, teams I'm most excited for. But I still think that she... I think she, Coach Brandello mm-hmm. probably feels like there was more she could have gotten out of Griner after the year that she had, and and now doesn't get a chance to. So I, I do think there's still some lingering feelings there. And I should make this known to everyone listening to this that this is an intentional thing I'm doing. I'm going against my typical instinct and the typical grain every year when I see news leading up to free agency. I always like to think like, Duh, don't buy too much into it, don't want to over speculate. That's weird. Like let's you know things happen, but it's. It's not that big of a deal. But you know what? Free agency has been so zany over the last couple of years that I've decided I'm going to buy into everything. I'm just going to, I'm going to like wide eyes emoji everything <laughs> that I can. And so I'll say it. Brondella bringing up Griner in the interview. Is it a coincidence? Is it to, gee, could we be seeing Griner in Seafoam all of a sudden? I pro- most likely not. Why not say it? it? You know, this doubles down to today. Uh, there was a really cool highlight reel that Jewel Lloyd tweeted out. Uh, and in it, she's wearing like a parodied Chicago flag on her shirt. And I know it, obviously it's where she's from, but you know, you're pushing that out. You, you're right about to start free agency. And you know what? I've just decided it's just more fun to be like, hmm, maybe, maybe. Um, instead of saying like, <laughs> no, it's nothing. It's just a t-shirt and I'm sure it is just nothing. And it's just a t-shirt, but you know, it's just more, you know, as, as a father who's recently watched Bluey a lot over the last two weeks, uh, it's important to have an active and intentional imagination. And that's what I'm doing here. So that's, that's my take on that. Now getting to the Phoenix talk. As far as who their coach looks like, uh, you know, one piece of reference for this obviously comes out of W Basketball 247. I'm assuming 247. Um, this is um, Monique Curry, actually, her, her site. So this has some clout to it uh, in one way. But essentially saying uh, in the tweet, you heard it here first, calling out four finalists for the job. You've got Stephanie White, uh, Teresa Witherspoon, Natalie Nakasi, and Vanessa Nygaard. Um, so... Nagard's an assistant coach over in Vegas. Nakasi was an assistant coach with the LA Clippers and I believe is currently uh, coaching um, their developmental team, the Agua Caliente Clippers, which is fun because if you coach there, you're always in hot water. Um, And then Stephanie White, who I believe is coaching over at Vandy. So some really good names there. Witherspoon, I believe, is an assistant with the Pelicans right now, if I'm not wrong. So solid names overall. I know one name that kept getting banded about was Pokey Chapman. That doesn't seem to be on this list. So to dive a little more into this question, Logan, is there a name on this list that uh, like a not necessarily pops? Cause I think there's one that stands out to most people just because of recognize, you know, what's recognizable, but is there a name on that list that when you see it, you more than the others go, that's probably the higher. Uh, yeah, I think teaspoon probably has the best chance of being the higher here. 
Um, and, and both because of her ability and because of her visibility, because I think Phoenix does care about that. They, they know they can't just move from Sandy Brandello, who's had a lot of success there to kind of a no name, undiscovered talent, right? Like, I, I think they know they need to land somebody that's going to install some confidence in the team moving forward. And Teaspoon probably has a little bit of an edge in that department, but I, I think this is actually a really solid list. Um, it's still, uh, I'm always going to go back to, I, I want to know what happened. I want to know how the discussion went in that room when Phoenix, like the, the powers that be in Phoenix, watched their five seed team ride like a near MVP season from Griner all the way to the champion, like the, the championship series and then decided, Hey, we got to, we got to make a change and we're going to make the change at the top and in the coaching realm instead of in like the personnel realm. Uh, like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I, I'm I'm usually not for like running it back with the exact same team because that's what my NBA team does every year and it never works. Like, I I get that you got to tinker and you got to change some things, but they beat Vegas in a series. I mean, <laughs> like, so, and, and pretty so soundly, I just don't get it comfortably. Yeah, I I don't. Yeah, I just don't get it. And and even if they make a good hire, I'm still not going to all the way get it. Um, so obviously we'll be on top of that news when it comes across, but I, I think teaspoon would be a good fit there. Um, I also think that the Vandy coach is, uh, she's going to land somewhere eventually mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see what she does, but, um, I just, I don't like, I get the Liberty snatching her up right away and I get Vegas, even though they've had success with coach, coach Lambeer, I get that landing yeah. Becky Hammond was, was an opportunity they couldn't really pass up. Phoenix is really the one that I'm like, what is you doing? Like, <laughs> like what's going on? Yeah. No, I, it, that, it, you know, it's an interesting case over in Phoenix because their story over the past calendar year has been intriguing, right? You have the lead up of like, who are we going to see on this roster? You have, you know, is DT going to play? Is she not going to play? Is she going to play for team USA? Even though she is not really playing much right now for Phoenix is, uh, you have the ride from the five seed to the finals. You have immediate random drama with like media, you know, not doing media after the finals. You have Brondello in her own drama with the Australian team. And so just there's always been some interesting hot button topic over in Phoenix. It leads to this. And so, I mean, Witherspoon is definitely the move that is going to be the biggest eye popper. And it's probably one they would lean in. My case is, is that the most feasible of hires. Is that something that, you know, Teresa is interested in like so heavily that she'll take the move. And that's where it's a really intriguing discussion. Um, you know, I know Nikasi is a huge, huge player coach and is, is one that a lot of players have stood by and, and supported as someone who, you know, really, really knows how to work with pers- different personalities. Um, Nygaard has been, was a huge part of Vegas's success. So it's a hard move. Coach Nygaard's the name that I keep thinking like realistically makes the most, you know, just I could really see it happening. But I suppose this is a case of we'll see. It, it's a tough spot to be in and things are wide open. You listening at home right now, you might be the coach of the Phoenix Mercury by the time this episode's done. Who knows? Life is chaos. We've got a we've got a really good question in the chat here for yeah. uh, moving the discussion forward that I that I like a lot. So um, the question is from Cam I am five six six. 
who asks, what do you all think of the Cheryl Reeve, Kathy Engelberg statements in Erica Ayala's New York Times article, um, which is referring to the article on WNBA players essentially calling for expansion and the league saying that it's it's not time yet. Um, obviously, the, I, I think everybody in the in the league recognizes that expansion is in the future, uh, but everyone has a different vision of what it's going to look like. In that article, it looks like the powers that be, including Kathy Engelbert, have kind of expressed um, wanting to follow the NBA's G League developmental league model um, in order to to kind of get more talent into the league and have more available positions for women's basketball players, but not necessarily risk expansion just yet. Um, but other players and and Coach Reeve, um, Cheryl Reeve mentioned that during Minnesota's uh Pretty successful season last year. Uh, they they had to play some. I think she called it uh, salary cap gymnastics. Um, and that's that's t- you're you're essentially. I mean, you're a professional basketball coach who's acting as a GM in the middle of a season because you're still working around a twelve you know a twelve woman roster and, and tight salary cap. So um, let's open up that box a little bit and unpack some yeah. of that. What do you now, what do you think about kind of the league stance on expansion and where we're going to go from here? Well, the quote that I, that I, the statements that I'm assuming you're coming from are from Reeve and Engelbert's, like their interaction in this interview, uh, where essentially, so I'll just read directly what Chantel Jennings tweeted out that, that this specific snippet, and I'd be interested to hear from our Twitch chat if I'm on base with this, but essentially, um, you know, when asked about expansion or asked about, you know, what's next for the general growth of the league, uh, even altogether, and Cheryl Reeves says, I believe, yeah, January. So this just happened yesterday, I believe. So you have Cheryl saying we need greater commitment as a whole from the NBA and NBA owners. Uh, quote, we need a greater commitment financially, we need a greater investment. The league's been far too long about the revenues and expenses matching. Don't lose $1, and that's not how you grow a league. Engelbert jumped on that by saying, quote, I disagree with that. And this is like a, like, if you can imagine Kathy Engelbert, pro wrestler, like, just like, like this is a pretty like drop mic quote, but I disagree with that. I have a track record of building businesses and growing businesses, and that's what we're doing here. Close quote. So almost environmentally, you have someone with a nest of co- of experience coaching in the WNBA who has seen the wheel been turned and is kind of saying like, we need that to change. This is getting weary and Engelbert essentially saying like, there's a reason that I was brought in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the dynamic of the discussion is very interesting. It's uh, in a sense of, I almost get from, from Engelbert's sense of like, I'm, I'm looking to try and help this league grow with or without the MNBA's full and undoubted yes. support. Yes. Like I, I'm tired of waiting for them to roll uh, like a Brinks truck in to help us out. If we need to find other ways to do it, let's find them because if we can grow that way, we're always going to be in a better situation to begin with. And I, I see what Cheryl Reeve is saying and I agree with that to a point. Like it's nice to have that level of support, but in my opinion, I think the WNBA's overarching health, their EBITDA, if you will, will come out of their ability to grow within themselves and, and, and set, be able to more separate themselves from the MNBA in a lot of ways in that it's, 
you know, when the WNBA was first launched, it very much was the women's flavor of the M- of the NBA. That was yes. how it was booked. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a spin-off season. How yeah. they named how they named the teams and how they, you know, it all was kind of, you know, the kings became the monarchs and, you know, it was that idea of like everything kind of had a matching flavor that way and so the more that we've been able to see the teams build their own identities, build their own structure, have their own levels of success. While there have been examples of, for instance, Joe size, a good example is putting a lot of money into the nets and we're seeing him put that effort and investment into the Liberty. That's not always going to be something you can completely hold your hat on. Uh, it, I think it's a different case. And so Engelbert's just amazing at dropping those snippets uh, without really giving a huge layover of detail. Because that's exciting and that's encouraging, but it's like, I sure would love to know exactly what you're saying while you're saying this. Um, yeah. But yeah. I have, I have a collection of thoughts here that I'll try to synthesize into like one main point, but I'll, I'll start with this. Every move Kathy Engelbert has made since she's been in charge of the league has been money, which, which makes me trust her. So, so I'm siding with her a little bit on this. If, if Cheryl Reeve is essentially saying in order to grow this business, we could go to this, group of 30 plus billionaire investors that we know and like get funding and like grow the league exponentially. And on the other side of that spectrum, you have Kathy Engelbert saying we can grow this league organically without the need to kind of sacrifice control of our business to a bunch of guys that are the reason that (laughs) a lot of teams folded in the mid two thousands when we were trying to grow this the first time. So remember, this is yeah. this is kind of the second attempt. Even though it's a young league, we talk about that all the time. This is a league in its infancy compared to other North American professional leagues. Um, the 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 problem they had the first time was exactly what Steve was saying. It was it was sort of a spin off of the NBA. It was like, hey, like what if what if in addition to the Portland Trailblazers, Paul Allen had the Portland Fire? And the problem is, even though Paul Allen has more money than God. The, the fire folded after two seasons because it, like the, the Blazers weren't good and they weren't bringing in revenue and he was looking for mm-hmm. ways to cut spending and they were the first cut that he made. And so you, you don't want to be at the mercy of anything like that. I, I, I never really considered the, the developmental league as an option for the WNBA before. I, I, that's kind of the first that I've heard of that as being like a place to put all these great players that don't have roster spots. Um, and again, Kathy knows more than I do, so maybe that would work. I, I think college women's basketball is essentially, it, it is the developmental league. I mean, we're right now, players aren't going to college for a year to play women's basketball and then jumping to the WNBA. They're staying for three years. There's a reason that we know Paige Beckers is going to be a star, but she's still at UConn. Like they, they have a couple years to, to simmer in the NCAA before they can make the jump to the pros. So. To me, that is the developmental league, and they have that in place. It's just a matter of, I, I, you know, the the league is going to expand, and we talk about this all the time. I, I think Kathy just knows, like, we have to do it right because there will be a spotlight on this league when that yeah. happens, and if they get it wrong, it will set the league back a decade. They'll they'll be it, right back to where they were in the mid two thousands. It's very much, uh. I weirdly, the moment I thought it was the end of the movie, The Incredibles, where it's like you have to like wait to launch that missile. Like it has, you get one legitimate shot at it, and it's got to be the right time. 
And that's that's my sense on it. Is there a need for expansion? Obviously. But the thing is, there was need for expansion in the early 2000s when we added four teams to the docket. And to me, that became the move that turned into that little bit of, like, home city tag that we played for a while where teams were folding and teams were relocating. And now we're getting to a point where the 12 teams feel like we're seeing some general consistency and health coming out of these franchises. And so it becomes that discussion of, of do we continue to refortify this and then see what we can pull out of that? It's a very interesting discussion, but I think that idea, you know, it's, it's very much needed. You know, I think it's, uh, it, but I, I trust that, where I where I lean and give trust to Kathy Engelbert is knowing that she's thinking from a business perspective and not necessarily from a basketball perspective. And for this specific case, that's very good because she, I think, understands what risks are in play. And I don't think she's waiting until the risks are, risks are low. I think she's waiting until the risks are things that she's more than willing to live with. Yeah. And, well, and remember this. this I don't. All- I think it'll be sooner than later. But I, I sure. don't, I, I, I actually do appreciate, uh, that especially now in an age when it feels like groundswell for demand comes very quickly online, that she's not making a lot of neat, those knee jerk reactions for, for things that need that simmering nature. And there have been cases where quick changes haven't made it, and that's been good. But I think it's that calculated idea of like, we do have to really sit on this and listen. That's going to make you guys grumpy. I get it. You're not going to be happy to hear that. I feel you. Trust me. I think her mindset is when we actually pull the lever on this, I have a feeling you're all going to think I'm really, really happy they waited till now. Like, thank goodness yeah. they had the foresight to well, wait and not. To and just this, jump this is an interesting, there's a connection to being able to pay players an adequate amount to keep them from going overseas and treating EuroLeague like it's their main season. And not expanding just yet because there's one pool of money, right? The answer, the answer to all of our questions is money at all times in sports, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the, I think that's the Don Olmeyer quote. Like that's, it always is going to come back to money. And if they, if they put two teams right now in, I don't know, Pittsburgh and the Bay Area, they're like what you're not going to see in the next five or six years is player salaries go up. And you're still going to see players going overseas and treating that like their main season and the WNBA like almost like a side project for for the really good star players, which you, if you're caffeine board, you can't have. So rather than spend money on expanding those rosters, I think she's looking at like the current the current CBA goes, I think, till like 2028. And like I, I think the goal is to be paying professional athletes like professional athletes by that time in addition to seeking out uh, an opportunity for expansion. Does that make sense? Did I, I don't know if I made that make sense, but like there's, there's something important about being able to pay a player half a million dollars and being like, Hey, this is your job. Like the WNBA is your job. You're a star here. If you yeah. want to go in the off season to play EuroLeague, that's fine. But like, this needs to be your, your priority and money is what makes that difference. And if they, if yeah. they have to make room for two more entire organizations, that's going to hold back those salaries from growing year over year for a long time. And I think they know that. So 
it's it's balancing a lot of plates and it's actually it's good for the players i i know a lot of the players are are the ones saying like we need more teams we need more spots and i think Inglebert is like i'm i'm trying to help you and <laughs> that's and that's true like it, it, anyone who isn't clamoring for like an immediate expansion should understand that like everyone still wants the expansion to occur that's definitely a need my feeling is they Expansion, the number of teams in the league is one of a handful of ingredients in this growth recipe. And to me, it comes down to you expanding teams, expanding team sizes, expanding the season, shifting when the season runs. You know, it's a, there's a lot of those ingredients that all kind of work together. And in my head, there's a couple cases where I say, are, you know, being comfortable with expansion there are a few of those other ingredients make more sense. Let's get those bowed up first in the sense of, I really think that there's a strong possibility that we're looking down the road a couple years at the potential of the WNBA structuring when their season can be held. Because I think what they want to do is mirror the traditional basketball season, not the, by the way, and I'm not saying the MNBA season, the basketball season, women's and men's college sport basketball player right now as well. So in America, that American basketball season, that would happen around this time. And they, I think they eventually want to move in and make that happen. And what that means when you can do that, what it means is you do have developmental teams now in EuroLeague, in the WNBL. Those become places where if you can't make a roster, you can go make a solid living and play for those teams. And currently, then let's recirculate next season and see if there's a roster spot for you. And that move can only be successful if players feel like their WNBA career is self-sustaining. Yeah. If, 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 if they're, what they're pulling in contract wise is supportive for them in the long term, where there isn't that pressure of having to go. We've heard players talk about it. Diana Tarasi has been very open about it. Yeah. I went and played in Russia. Yeah. I chose to play in Russia over playing a season in the WNBA. Why? Because they paid for my house and the W didn't. Like she said as much. And that's what that was the case at the time. And we're seeing improvement, but that continues to lay over. So I think some of those discussions, once those get laid out and you start to see that growth, then that's where you're going. All right. Now let's continue to build and, and prosper off of that. I, so I'm not incredibly business growth savvy. That's not my world. So I, I look at it and think there's a lot of factors to play there. Um, and I feel like what I got from that quote from Engelbert is just to say, like, just, just let me do my thing. And I promise if it's not working yeah. and we need to now, just pull the, the lever right away, we'll do it. We, and I, I, we should move on from this, but I'll, I'll close on this. I do sympathize with Cheryl Reeves position here too, because she's totally. there in the locker room with players that are flying commercial flights, right? Like, like doing kind of, like, like it's gotten better since the new CBA, but they're, they're still kind of doing the WNBA thing where they're not totally getting treated like stars as they, as they should be. And Cheryl Reeves sees that up close every day at, at her job. And so mm -hmm. she's obviously like, Hey, you got to spend money to make money. We like, we have NBA partners with all the money. Like this is obviously like the proof of concept has been proven. Like if you put us on mm -hmm. TV, if you put us in primetime, people watch advertising dollars come in. Like let's. Let's go. Like, let's do this now. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I do see where that's coming from. Like this, 
I know I mentioned earlier in this discussion that the league is in its infancy, but we don't want to have to put players in 2022 through like what baseball players had to do during war times, right? Like the, it shouldn't be, you play professional sports nine months out of the year and then you go home and farm during the summer. (laughs) You know, like we, we should be past those days, right? Like they, there's enough interest in this, um, that, that I, I think we need to be past that. But in terms of women's profi- uh, professional sports, uh, aside from um, the U.S. women's national soccer team, WNBA is actually kind of uh, paving the, the road for basically everything else that's trying to accomplish the same thing. If you look at NWSL, um, if you look at NWHL, like there's, there's a lot of struggle right now in trying to get leagues off the ground um, because they just they don't have the starting capital. In, in order to like immediately make an impact and the WNBA is in a position to essentially prove like we, we can make uh we can make a women's professional league in this country work. And I think they've been doing it over the past couple of years under, under Kathy's watchful eye, but there, yeah. there is something to, and this, this is a, something we've talked about before, but there is something to uh, uh cam. I am made another comment. Um, Nafisa Collier makes $55,000 a year. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not. Nafisa Collier okay. is a world class athlete. Like she's gonna win Minnesota a ring one of these days. Yeah, and it, like you, you probably know someone who's driving a car worth more than fifty five thousand dollars. Like, there's and I, yeah. Anyway, it, it, I think it goes like this to say, knowing that there are professional basketball players in the world who are averaging one to two minutes a game, making three million dollars a year. And $55,000 a year in the current real estate economy would not get you a house. Like, you can't buy a house from that income right now. Like, a professional basketball player in the United States of America, their salary wouldn't support that. Which is why, like, and if UMMC Ekaterinburg calls and says, here's a million-dollar contract to come and play for four months in Russia... Like, when do I fly out? You know, and that's like, you can't help, but like, it's a really easy equation to make and you have to make that decision on your own. The one other thing I'll say with this is Cheryl's call for investment is very real and very true. I think a part of Engelbert's take also is, you know, because we kind of hit on that at the start, which is like, I'm not going to wait for the for the NBA to give me the support I need to move forward. Because I think in her head, she's going, yeah, we do need investment. And there are more than 30 people who can provide that for us. And to be honest, if we wait for those 30 people, that's kind of lame. Like, let's try and reach out. Because, for instance, you know, that's something that potentially you could have seen in the NWSL where, you know, we want MLS teams to bowie up all of these teams. Angel City FC is showing up in Los Angeles. Didn't wait for LAFC, didn't wait for the LA Galaxy to decide, hey, we're going to help you guys out and build a team. They went and got Natalie Portman and Candace Parker (laughs) and Julie Foudy. And, you know, like they went and actually just said, like, all of you people who have income, who love this game, why don't you try some investment here and, and pulling that together? And and we've had that discussion. I've heard people make that that say that line online. Of like, where are all these rich people who say they love women in sports, say they love WNBA? Where's their support? Like, keep making that call and keep pushing that because the investment's there. Investors are out there and, but they don't have to be limited to these 30 heads. We can go, we can go and find them. So I'm not just going to call out 
the NBA and ask them to to fit that bill, that's just going to feed trolls. Let's go find people who are ready to put that in. Josiah feels like he fits that mold. When Mark Davis bought the Aces, I legitimately didn't like the move. I got on this show and I said I didn't like the move because I didn't think he would follow up with it. So far, it looks like he's following up with it for the most part. And so it's it's about finding those right individuals. Again, it's that it, I think we'd rather make the right move than the quick move. And that sucks in the sense of someone who wants to see change quickly, but I, I think it'll be good for us in the long run. Um, we put a lot of real estate into that question. Um, but so let's dive into our next move. Yeah, let's, we've, we've got a question in the chat here that'll, that'll pull us out of the business of sports and back onto, uh, free agency. Oh, uh, you guys tracking. don't like talking business and numbers? Uh, this is Matthias Alexandre 11. Do you think January stays in Connecticut? Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless there's any sort of back end news that I'm missing as far as like where she would kind of I, consider herself, but I understand the question in the sense that Connecticut has looked like a contender at at least in pieces of the last four seasons. Um and generally in the playoffs every year has looked like a team to beat and hasn't mm-hmm. gotten it done. And it feels like like I mentioned this earlier, like you can only keep running back the same group so many times before it's like, when do you shake things up? That's, yeah, and I guess I, I guess one thing well, that's that where this I is tied to is the question. Yeah, wanting to lock in John Quill probably will take an amount of budget that probably they can't push over to January. So you potentially she potentially could be on the move. So that could happen. By the way, happy birthday to Brand January! I just looked her up on Twitter and it's her birthday. So evidently. So that's cool. I, it would kind of suck if your name was Brian January and your birthday was in like September. Yeah. I, <laughs> that was, I'm assuming that that's true. We'll see. Um, but so it's hard to say, uh, exactly like where my brain, cause I couldn't sit here and tell you exactly where she'll go. Uh, because she would be the, the problem with Brian January is, is they fit everywhere. Yeah. There's not a roster that couldn't use her to the fullest extent. She's similar to like an Alicia Clark of like, you know, why haven't we talked about her in all-star discussions? Cause she's that kind of player who busts, you know, just boys up every single roster you can think of. Um, she's definitely a name that <sighs> I promise this isn't a thing, a name, a team I'm bringing up every single time just to bring him up. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if that's a Chicago move. Like, if that's the, you know, championship teams often like to add a little bit of sweetness to their frosting um, to to see if that helps them be even the more competitive. In January, it feels like a perfect fit with that. Um, she could go to New York because pretty much anyone could go to New York at this point. I, I think that's wide open. Um, I think Seattle not being 100% sure what their roster structure looks like at all. You know, if they lose a Jewel Lloyd and can bring in a brand January, that at least helps them fit some part of a role where she's someone that can make shots and, and plays well on the defensive end, especially wing and perimeter. Uh, it's hard to tell. I, I, I didn't think when I heard the question, I was like, I don't know. I could see you're staying, but now that I, I'm realizing Connecticut's trying to balance out, like they need to put some heavy investment to keep John Quell and then build around that. Um, yeah, I think it's. It might actually be more than not that we see her in a different uniform. Yeah, 
Yeah, the but more I, I think about it, I, yeah. I've looked at the numbers. Uh, John Quill Jones is cord, so she's she's going to make the max. Is that a, is that my understanding of the the core designation? It's sort of like the football's franchise tag. Something to that um, effect, yeah. And, and it, it, we'll we'll get more into that as free agency kind of heats up. But the, the I have to reread all the cord stuff every year because it's unique to the WNBA. Um, but right now, there's about half a million dollars of cap room in Connecticut. Um, and, and you assume that they're going to use some of that on one draft pick, although a lot of teams don't make room for all three of their draft picks, which is a discussion for another day. Um, the problem comes in 2023 and then 2024. In the next two years, that team is getting gutted. Um, mm-hmm. they, they don't have anybody but Alyssa Thomas past the next two seasons. So Dewana Bonner is going to be up for a new deal next year. Um, or at least she's going to be playing in the last year of her deal and she's going to be wanting a, a new deal in 2023. Um, Jasmine Thomas, same deal. Brianna Jones, this is her, her last year before she's an unrestricted free agent. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of things in flux with that team. This, this is sort of, uh, now, now that I really look at it, this, the championship window for Connecticut, it's slamming shut after this year if they don't change something. Right. Like you, you have this season where you can one more time trot out the same team you've been trotting out there, which is super talented. And if it's fully healthy, I believe they can contend. And I understand why they're like Kurt Miller is committed to this group and not doing, doing too many things to tinker with it. But you basically have this year and then things start getting really complicated. The, the salary cap gymnastics start to come into effect. Um, and Brienne January could easily be one of those cap casualties um, as they look to the future who ends up landing on like the perfect team this off season and helping them win a championship. I, yeah. I, I, and I think that, that I think that's where it's interesting is um, I think Connecticut could afford themselves a little bit of a new look somewhere uh, for that purpose alone of that idea of, I don't think they're definitely in a case if you're not paddling upstream, you're headed downstream because too many teams are ready to make the jump up the up the standings. You know, you're going to see New York steadily become more competitive. Washington's going to try and get themselves back into the mix, the fever. So teams are going to try and make the jump. And hey, um, hey, <laughs> sorry, I Indiana Fever playoffs. <laughs> I actually, you know, that yeah, they, we'll, we'll see. But I, you know, I'm intrigued. You know what? That definitely, I just. You know, that's a hard not to crack with Connecticut because it's hard to doubt what they pulled together through the regular season. And then, you know, the the other thing with Connecticut, too, if they can maintain a, a grand portion of their success in the regular season next year, let's say they find themselves in one of the top two spots. This is actually a case for me where the new playoff structure favors them more than the old playoff structure that was supposed to favor a one and two seed, because I think them getting their licks in in an early series and still being able to beat a team they're probably more favored over helps them rather than holding out until the semifinals mm. uh, against an it's- extremely hungry team. I actually could see Connecticut with how they structure things. I could actually see the new playoff structure being a boon to them uh, if they can maintain yeah. that success and keep everyone healthy. We haven't talked a ton about the, the sun this offseason yet. Um, I guess we haven't talked about a ton of teams in detail besides, besides uh, Chicago and Phoenix, but um, some teams just have obvious pain points, right? Like you, you know what needs fixing in Dallas, 
you know mm-hmm. everything needs fixing in in some in teams like Atlanta and Indiana. The tough thing, and this might be a prime candidate for a Jason fixes segment. I want to know how you fix the Connecticut Sun because they're not actually broken, but they haven't gotten it done. Like I think they have a great coach. I, they have the MVP. I think they've got great talent surrounding the MVP. And if this was the first year where they had that group together and they made you know a little bit of a playoff run and then didn't get it done, I would think no reason to panic. Still, like this this team's going to win a ring eventually. It's too good not to. But this is the third or fourth season where mm-hmm. at, at some point during the year we we were saying this is the best team in the league and. Your championship window in pro sports is is never that long. Yeah, I, I feel like trying to figure out how to fix the sun is like trying to figure out how to fix the Big Mac. Because it's like, well, the Big Mac does what it's supposed to do, and it's it's good burger, and it, it's consistent, and the ingredients all work together. It's not going to win burger of the year right now, but I don't know what to tell you because it's not like I you know have a stout negative. Now, if you're anti-McDonald's, this analogy doesn't work at all, but it's that idea of... Sometimes when it comes to, especially when it comes to professional basketball, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Isn't true. Like this is one of those cases of like, and it might just be figuring out like you have your core pieces. So what are you putting around them? Is that the right move? Is it, you know, finally deciding to, you know, make a sudden move and see if it builds you up? Because here's the thing. They did do that last year with, with bringing in Duana Bonner. That to me was very much a like, oh, we're going to upgrade the roster. Um, and so it, it'll, that's the center, yeah. a very intriguing case. And I, they're, they're one of the very first teams I'd want to talk about once free agency holds up. They, they sort of feel like the pre Kawhi Leonard Toronto Raptors, where every year we were like, oh, they're going to be in the mix. And every year they, they ran into like the LeBron James team and they didn't, <laughs> they didn't get it done. Only, they already have the MVP. They don't have to go out and find their Kawhi Leonard, right? They've made great acquisitions. They have great shooting. I think they are going to be healthier next year and they are going to be hungry next year, but it's kind of mentally exhausting when you go a whole season feeling like you're the best team around and then you don't get it done in the playoffs. And then you have to run it back the next season and do it all over again and find that same belief. And it's just hard. It, and it doesn't happen a lot. There's a reason that a lot of teams make the Super Bowl and then don't make the playoffs the following year. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of things have to go right for your team to be really, really good. And one of those things is you just have to be mentally locked in for the entire season. And it, it's really hard to do that year after year and not see, you know, not see the results that you want. And I, and I also think this sure. upcoming year, if they maintain their regular season success, you look at a Connecticut team that, We'll probably be more comfortable playing an eight seed that probably is an eight seed outside of a six seed that when you really look at it is a two seed. Um, sure. And yeah. so like, it's just a tough, there are a lot of cases where that structure I think helps them. And, and, you know, it's a hard nut to crack because, um, every time you look at a, a piece of the roster and say, well, let maybe we change this, you have a hundred reasons not to. So that makes a lot of sense. I think we've gone through three questions, Logan. Let's try it round it out at five. So let's let's uh, hop through two more of these and close us out. Yeah. Once again, if you're on the the Twitch chat, hit us up with your questions. We've got two more to go. There's one that I saw earlier that it wasn't really phrased like a question, but I did want to I did want to give a shout out to Backpack Beats and and touch on this topic that they brought up in the chat. Um, Yeah. 
Backpack Beat says, you guys may not remember. We do remember. Um, at the okay. beginning of the NCAA season, I said, watch out for LSU. They're on the move. Indeed, LSU is on the move. They are up to number 12 in the AP Top 25. They're at 14 in the coaches poll. They are 15 and 2, Steve. By the way, South Carolina plays in their conference. South Carolina is 15 and 1. So LSU is in the mix. Uh, they're 3 and 1 in conference play right now. They, I, I, but I don't want to conflate LSU success with being on par with South Carolina's talent. I'm just saying everybody knows South Carolina. They're ranked number one. They're expected to be there at the end of the, the big dance. And yet here's LSU with 15 wins already. There's not a lot of teams in the country at that mark. In fact, Tennessee is one of the only other teams uh, that have hit that. And they, they all play in the SEC. <laughs> so Tennessee, by the way, up at number five. Um, the SEC looking like it's going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. So, Steve, do you have any thoughts on uh, any of these SEC, team, SEC teams kind of rising up the standings or just in general uh, surprises in the AP Top 25 here uh, 10 weeks into the NCAA season? I I guess I'm failing to see it. I, I, I love the call out, um, especially if you got pride for LSU, but I just think, you know, the Kim Mulkey hire kind of told the story there. This was going to be a different level of energy. Probably feels good to her to see that she's a couple spots ahead of Baylor in the standings <laughs> uh, in one poll, randomly not in the other poll. Actually really fun how close they are. That's cool. Uh, you know, fun situation for them, I suppose. Um. I mean, to me, Tennessee is really the so far one of my favorite stories in in the sense of um, they've really been been on a roll there. There's with leading into SEC schedule, their schedule is about to heat up a lot. So we'll see if it goes a little more topsy turvy. But they're riding at fifteen and one and and looking very very solid. And we've been waiting for a few years to see when the when the balls are going to put themselves back in that position. Um, I love what Indiana's been doing, you know, but it's it's a really interesting case uh, in the – I'm going to go off the AP poll, not the coaches poll myself, but, you know, we're looking at Arizona uh, dropped that game to USC, fight on, uh, and only dropped down to seven. I mean, they're 11-1, and one, but only dropping to seven was really interesting. I thought they might see themselves out of the top ten. A question that I've seen from a lot of people – and, and this is a well. I don't. I don't know if I want to ask a question about UConn actually, because that would go way against the LSU ness of this question, and <laughs> not makes about UConn. But the, when I look at the top twenty-five, they're the interesting case of this is a team that's had all kinds of health protocol reasons to postpone games. They've only played ten total games. There's only seven and three in those ten games, and they still find themselves in the top ten. And is this a case of the AP assuming? Well, if they played as many games as the rest of them, they probably would be like 11 and three and would be in the top 10 anyway. Like it's a, that, that one's a curious case. When I look at the teams that are just below them, LSU being two spots behind them, I go, which of these rosters has earned their spot in the top 10? And you look at, and this might be an interesting way to flex this question to you. UConn's number 10 right now. If that was the argument that people could make, like what about the teams that have played 15 plus games? and have earned the right to be a top-ten team based on how successful they are. The next three teams in line are Michigan, LSU, and Texas. Who are Of those teams, who are you leaning on? Because LSU is 15-2 after 17 games. That that one makes a lot of sense in my book in a lot of ways. Um, 
one of those losses randomly was to FGCU. The only yeah, other loss was, was a right six pointer to South Carolina. They yes. they lost a nail biter to to the Gamecocks. So they had a fluke loss that, like, if you take that out, you're looking at basically one close loss to a very strong team. Otherwise, they have stepped up against ranked teams and put it forward. So maybe, yeah, I probably stand here and would say the Tigers are probably who I would drop into the top 10. Um, hard to say. I mean, Texas and Michigan have played well as well. But, like, it, are, do you see that differently? If you're looking at the three or four teams behind UConn and saying the, one of these teams deserves the top 10, are you going a different direction? I actually agree with you, Steve. I I would drop UConn out of the top 10 if it meant putting LSU in. Uh, Before the six-point loss to South Carolina, uh, they beat number 13 Georgia on the road. They beat number 23 Texas A&M. And they were on a 13-game win streak going into that South Carolina game where they played them as tough as just about anybody has all year. So, yeah, the Florida Gulf Coast loss, I think, is holding them back. It was the second game of the year. I don't know if there was COVID stuff going on there or what. seems to me like just a fluke game, so I'm not super worried about it. They've got 12 games left on the regular season schedule, including a regular season finale at number 5 Tennessee. That's going to tell us a lot. But right now, yeah, right now LSU looks like one of those, probably a three seed in the tournament. That's going to be a really tough team to pick against. Because you're going to look at who they've beat this year and you're going to say, how, you know, how can I put any team above them when they have a chance to knock out South Carolina if they play them on the right night, right? Like that's, that's a team that's familiar with SEC opponents that on the right day, I think could beat anybody in the, in the field. So yeah, I, I'm not going to argue that the top five, eight teams, I, I think those are all correct, but I think UConn is probably a little inflated right now. Um, and that's not to say that I would send them all the way out of the rankings. I would probably only drop them one or two spots, but I do think Michigan deserves, or uh, excuse me, LSU deserves to be up there. Um, and I, I'm, I'm looking at their track record thinking that's going to be a tough team in March. Yeah, extremely, extremely with, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So it's definitely been exciting to, to see that rise and, and coach Kim seems to be making things work there. So as we roll into the the real meat of conference play, this is going to get real fun uh, with the SEC probably being right now essentially the conference to watch because they may tell the story as to how this entire bracket will end up looking. Now, um, we do. So. I, I know we're going to get some blowback from UConn fans for that one. I, I do know that their their best player is out, but their best player is out. So you're seven and three. Like it's, I, I it wanna... just goes like this. You're seven and three. The the two the three teams behind you are thirteen and two, fifteen and two, and eleven and two. You're seven and three. It's the like it's the, not the seven is a good seven. There. They they've lost to South Carolina. They've got wins against ranked USF and and Notre Dame. Um, those are nice. The but the the upper echelon teams. Uh, I mean they they hung with Louisville without their best player, which is to be commended. But again, I just. I think people are ranking if them, assuming if that you're if you're a Husky fan, bumping them out of the top ten is like the best thing you could possibly ask for. Oh yeah, if they're you, gonna be super mad. If you, if UConn potentially <laughs> find themselves at say a four seed uh, in the tournament this year, right as they get Fudd and Page back, yeah, do you is there a better scenario to talk? You could basically waltz your way into a at least an elite eight at that point. 
And yeah, so I think like in one way, kind of like this could play to our benefit. Now, the ultimate scenario you want is your stars to be healthy and to be able to play all the time. So I'm not saying it's preferred to that. Um, but that's not a part to me of why I'm factoring where they sit in the standings. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with I'm literally looking at stats numbers and I'm looking at a team that's seven and three standing above a couple rosters that have shown they've earned that spot as it stands right now a little bit more. We have a lot of basketball left in this season and that's fantastic because basketball rules, but, and, and that's going to potentially change. UConn very easily can find themselves in the top elite level of this, of these standings again by season's end. I wouldn't doubt that. If you're asking me right now, I just don't put them in the top 10. They're seven and three. It's like, that would be a, con- it, it, 10 games into a typical season, that's a concerning record for them. For some teams, it's fine. For them, it's concerning. So, that's all. Yeah, they their their losses are are what college football would call good losses. Um, yeah. They don't have any like, oh, how did they lose that game? Um, compared to a team like Michigan, who like I wouldn't drop UConn below Michigan because Michigan has some losses that are yeah. eye popping. But my only and the only argument that helps them is the other one I don't like, and and Palo Alto orders are not going to love me for this. Stanford at number two at eleven and three is a bit of a joke. I. I, they're they're definitely getting carried by how good great. we all know that team can be. They're great. They're, they're decent. It's another one where, oh, they're good losses, more or less, if you want to call a good loss a good loss. But at the same time, I think they're benefiting from the teams around them losing at just the right time, like at just the right moment where it has to kick them back in the standings because Louisville's 13-1. and one. Um, I, I would probably. NC State looks great. I don't think Louisville is a better team than Stanford, but I, in terms of rankings, week ten of the season, I would probably put Louisville ahead. They've they've lost one game all year. It was a two point loss to Arizona at the season opener. They've won everything since. They beat Michigan by a lot. Uh, they beat Kentucky by a little. They beat Pageless UConn. Um, they beat number sixteen Georgia Tech. They've got ranked wins to their record. Arizona is the only one that they've dropped, and they were in that game. So. I'll put it this way: whoever wins the upcoming game against Louisville and NC State may find themselves in that two spot. I think that there's a chance they yeah. one of those teams is going to lean their way into that two spot when all said and done. Now Stanford keeps winning; it's hard to necessarily overbump them. Sure, uh, and, and come tournament time, uh, you can bet your boy isn't going to. I'm, I'm not going to be betting against Stanford in the tournament, but. In, in terms of the regular season, I hear you. I think it's fun, too. We got one more we can touch on before we're out of time. And you know how much I like talking about Caitlin Clark on the pod. Um, do you think that Caitlin Clark's game is going to transition in the W? Um, and then there's an addendum to this, which says, or will she be another Kelsey Plum type player? Which a little bit of disagree with because I think Kelsey Plum has, uh, despite being touted as, as like a franchise changer. I don't think she's had a bad career and, and now she's, you know, Olympic gold medal. She's, she's doing good things in the WNBA, but the the question does stand. Do you think Caitlin Clark's game is going to, is going to translate to the WNBA? How do you see her performing when she makes that jump? I see. I assume the Kelsey Plum comparison potentially comes from those first couple seasons when she was a number one pick and was poised to be a star, and the fit wasn't right there. 
If you yeah. would tell me that the output we're getting out of Kelsey Plum right now is what we'd be getting out of Caitlin Clark, I'm thrilled. Are you kidding me? Impetus to a title contending team and an Olympic gold medalist? I think I'd be potentially okay with that. Now, do I will say if you look at that class of stars, Boston, Page, Clark, I think Van Lith would be in there. Um, there's a couple others. Olivia Miles is probably a year behind them, but like a couple of those very youngs that like are going to come into that just gargantuan draft class. She might be the one who currently, as far as translating to a star level with the WNBA, has the most to make up. Simply in terms of she needs to prove her balance so that she doesn't land on a team that just sees her as a shooter. She goes well beyond that, but I think they need to make that, you know, feel like it fits really well. But I also think it's a similar learning curve that we saw with, with UNESCO so far, whereas obviously UNESCO has been injured and out a lot, but also um, it's, it's understanding that spacing is different. Sizing is different. The level of competitiveness changes. And so there's been some transitions in her game that have needed to happen. And Clark may need to do that. And I think she has the acumen to make that happen. Um, so I would say, yes, the tools are there. But she's definitely a case of if, if if things are a little quiet in her rookie season, I wouldn't be terribly shocked. But a part of that is because I think there's a couple other names that are more ever ready, right? I you know I think Paige will probably if she stays healthy and everything goes the way it's looking, she'll end up the number one pick in whatever that draft class is. And because of the way that awards in pro leagues are about the story, she probably ends up rookie of the year. We'll probably end up saying that it should have been Boston and it'll end up going to, to page. And I, I'm interested to see where her standing is. So I think it's here to say, are the tools there for Clark? I think absolutely. Because I, I, if there's anything beyond her playing ability and the analytics behind things, um, her ability to help Iowa get into games and keep things interesting late, not just late game heroics, but like her third quarter play is as impressive as her fourth quarter play, her ability to, to win their team is struggling offensively and they're seeing a double digit death. Her ability to turn a game into a game is a huge get for, for an AW team. And I just want her to succeed. Cause I, 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 yeah. I, I hope I, I want to see a world where she gets like 200, 350 shots a night. Like it's, I, you know, I love, I love watching Caitlin Clark play basketball. So I definitely hope, but I think that the plum comparison is apt in a way. I think another comparison, a lot of people have already been thinking of is Katie Samuelson in that same idea. Like, are you kind of going to be that offensive spark for a team who is fifth of a starting five or possibly the ace off the bench? Um, or are we going to be talking about Caitlin Clark in terms of being one of the stars? You know, uh, you look at that three to C draft with Greiner and Deladon and Skylar Diggins Smith, you're leaning into that direction of, are we going to see the most sprouted of stars or is it going to be a different case? It's, it's an interesting mindset. I think it's there for her. I wouldn't be shocked if it's a slower kickoff than what we see from some of the other people in her class. Mm-hmm. So I, let me start with uh, Kelsey Plum's career, and, and let's look at some of the numbers as, as what she's done. So she's she was basically in the starting lineup for the first three years of her career, averaging 
under 10 points a game, usually about eight and a half, nine and a half points a game. She was fine. I think the expectation was high enough that being fine felt like still bust level pick because she was supposed to come in and be a franchise changer. She was supposed to be an Asia Wilson. She was supposed to, she was a name that people knew and she was only fine and people weren't really okay with that. The, uh, the bubble season was her third season, which is usually where we see the breakout. That didn't really happen. And then the fourth year in Vegas, she got moved to the bench and she got some coaching. And suddenly everything went up. Her averages went up. Her per 36 went up. She started averaging almost 15 points a game. Um, she, she was really effective in that bench role being exactly what you said, Steve. She was a spark instead of trying to be an appendage to the starting lineup. She was a go-to bucket getter, which is at like at the core of her game. That's who she is off of the bench for the aces. And it was awesome. I think something, something important happened there, which is that a team was patient with her. <laughs> And she got into the league with opportunities to play right away. She got in reps. And that's something that a lot of rookies do not receive, as we well know. So she had some time to get reps under her belt. She finally exploded. And I won't say exploded onto the scene, but she, she's a player that you want on your team now at this point. She's, she's not a superstar Kalia Copper player, but she's a player that can help a lot of teams in this league. Um, mm-hmm. And she is a bucket getter. And Caitlin Clark is the same way. Now, let's talk about some differences. Kelsey Plum is 5'8". Caitlin Clark is six foot, allegedly. I know colleges kind of fudge those numbers sometimes, but, <laughs> um, so that's, that's going to help. You come into the league with a little bit of extra size at the guard position. It helps you hopefully defend a little bit better out on the perimeter against the other good guards in the league. It also helps you just driving to the basket and creating offense. Caitlin Clark's also a certified bu- bucket getter. And I suspect that she will be picked by a team that wants to play her right away. So she should also be getting reps early on in her career. But we just don't know if she goes some. And I, I hate to throw the fever under the bus because I really do want to be a believer in them this year. But if she went to a franchise like the fever that maybe didn't have the best coaching, that maybe didn't have the best approach to developing rookies, that maybe didn't instill confidence in her and had the patience to, to let her develop over the course of multiple seasons. I could easily see a player like Caitlin Clark, who is fascin- like fascinating to watch in college, fizzle out in the WNBA. It, she, I think she has to go to the right situation. Um, yeah, and that's that's really scary because we both enjoy watching her play a lot. But if she, if she goes to the wrong situation, doesn't have good coaching, doesn't have patience in the front office, she might end up just playing full time overseas, and yep. and that would make me really sad because I think she could really help a team. Like go to go to the LA Sparks, right? The Sparks are gonna go on a spending spree in the next season or two and bring in a bunch of stars. And to just have like a young guard with some size who can put up points either off the bench or in the starting lineup, that'll be a perfect place for her. But I just, I, I don't know where she's going to land. So it's, it's really hard to project. I think there's, uh, two really big things that have benefited her that like, as I look at numbers and stuff, I go, this helped her out big time. One is, and obviously this is comparing a full season to what's currently happening probably a half season ish. Uh, you're, you're looking at her, her turnover per game ratio has gone down by almost a full point. It, she's, she currently is rebounding at a rate. That's pretty nuts compared to the previous season. So she was 5.9 boards a night last season. Now she's sitting comfortably at eight boards a night to be dropping in 8.1 rebounds a game. From a, when you're the primary scoring option on your team and then some to still be pulling in eight boards a night um, from a guard position, 
I think that shows that there's a versatility play there. And it also shows what I would assume is strength training, spatial training. Like I think some of those methodologies are showing themselves over and that's what translates really well. It's why like the thing that told me that like Aliyah Boston's ready was seeing all those strength workout numbers that <laughs> they showed at her last game beyond any of her stats, because I'm just like, I'm seeing that you're putting in the work and I, and I, I look at boards especially. And to me, that's always been a stat of like from almost any draftee. If you're, how are you improving yourself um, on the offensive and defensive side when it comes to rebounds? Because that's, uh, that t- tells me a lot of a story about the well-roundedness of a player when I know that it's not their primary function. So, you know, right now I I think we're, we're going to continue to see some of those key indicator improvements for her down the road. Um, but I like that question specifically on Clark is, you know, it's an interesting case because it's hard. That was a harder one to tell when you see what her brand is on the public spectrum, which is, I think if you go outside looking into the layman, they just see her as, you know, a hot shooter, you know, someone that can hit from anywhere on the floor, but the more you watch your game, you know it can go beyond that, and I think the the numbers are starting to slowly reflect that. Nice. Well, that was a that was a fun Q and A. We had a the, the chat was hopping today. We got some good yeah some good questions from the stream. Uh, you guys heard Kyle's daughters practicing piano in the background there at the very end, so that's a nice little treat for you. Uh, so I'm I'm changing uh, changing locations now. Um, but boy, that's, I, I love, uh, I love these sorts of discussions. These are things that I, like, we always want to have a chance to talk about, but it's like, oh man, do we dedicate yeah. an entire episode to that? And so it's nice to have a little bit of a grab bag today. We're going to have to do these afternoonish Q and A's more often. I think that the mixture of middle of the day energy and, and just getting everyone in the chat cooking. I think this was a, this was an awesome discussion. Thank you to everyone in who, who dropped a question. If we didn't get your question, we'll, Classically, like Indeed.com, we will keep it on file, um, but also keep those things coming. Uh, you know, check us out on our Twitch streams. Come chat with us live. Drop in a question. We may use it. So, um, yeah, this was definitely uh, a really good time. But uh, now that we're putting a bow on that, is there anything else you wanted to bring to the table, Logan, before we call it a afternoon? A- a- uh, Utah State women's basketball coach Kayla Ard, shout out. Been, yeah, uh, it, it's been fun seeing that program kind of uh, begin to turn around. Uh, it was it was in the depths for a little while there, and I I just know that we're all following them. So if you're listening and you're a Utah State player, we're we're watching. Could, yeah, still looking for a little more of the win column, but they've looked a lot more exciting than they have in the past. From the you know, and that's good for the sake of us alma maters, and also being you know the only relevant college team in the state of Utah. Um. I hope that upset someone, but, uh, uh, yeah, but I think that will do it well, again. We appreciate everyone who had a chance to chat with us live. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're trying to be more consistent in our output here with the stream, which is me saying that knowing this one was a day late, but, uh, we're going to continue to, to push that and continue to, to have episodes at least twice a week as best as we can through the off season, but we've got free agency just around the corner. College basketball is completely heating up. There is a lot to dive into when it comes to the world of women's basketball, and we will be right here to share that with you. But until then, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time.